Welcome to Business Reporter's Future of Banking campaign. I'm Georgie Frost. Times have changed, but the need for sound banking solutions have not. Increased regulation since 2008, more competition from fintechs spurred on by the pandemic and rapid digitization, and changing macroeconomic conditions have altered the banking landscape. The technological solutions are there, from AI to buy now, pay later, but banks have been slow to take advantage, leaving them at risk of falling behind the neo-challenges. So how can the traditional financial institutions keep pace? Joining me today to discuss this is Jonathan Katz, VP of Client Development at Amount. Welcome to Jonathan. Thank you very much. Firstly, what have been the notable changes to the banking landscape in recent years? Just set the scene, if you would, for me. I think some of the biggest changes that we've seen is really the decentralization of, of the ability for customers to interact with their financial institution. Uh, this was starting to happen during uh, prior to the pandemic, but obviously was really accelerated uh, during the pandemic itself, being able to interact with your financial institution um, in a digital manner, um, where you want, when you want, and how you want, um, and banks really being able to accommodate uh, those types of experiences. I think the other change that we're seeing is actually a shift potentially away from traditional financial institutions into what I would call embedded experiences. So whether that be a, not a bank or a non-bank experience where we're embedding financial products in um, other you know, uh, technology solutions that we might be using on a daily basis. So for example, Amazon has offered to its merchant sellers a, a quick short duration line of credit. Uh, Toast has offered lines of credit to the restaurants that are on its platform. So seeing a lot of that embedded banking experiences become a notable shift in the way banking is done today. How have consumer demands, I guess, and expectations changed? So consumers are seeing a lot of convenience across their life. The Amazon Prime experience is really pervasive in everything else that they do, and they expect that same type of experience when it comes to to banking and financial services. And this is over a longer term, like we've been talking about the sort of the death of the branch or the the, the way that the branch has had to shift for a long time. But again, that has really kind of accelerated in in the last few years, given those types of technology experiences that the the consumer, again, I'll call it the Amazon Prime experience is used to. The banks have really had to follow suit. And I think it's notable as well when it comes to businesses. So typically your commercial customer is going to be a little bit different than a a typical consumer. But when it comes to small businesses, the owners of these businesses, the proprietors of the businesses, they're consumers themselves. So they're used to that type of experience that they're seeing in their personal lives. And they're really not seeing a huge difference in why that shouldn't be extensible into their lives as a small business owner as well. What are the most promising solutions banks have been focusing on recently for consumers and small businesses? So we, we've seen, you know, banks have a lot of tech infrastructure that, that, that at times can hold them back from being really innovative and, and being able to push forward, right? So I think they've probably, probably haven't done as much as they want to, but in terms of what we're seeing, you know, omni-channel origination, the, the ability for, you know, customers to, like I said, meet their bank when they want, where they want and how they want. For example, if you walk into a, a branch of one of our, our client banks, you're actually going to scan a QR code or get a text and you're going to apply for a line for a, a term loan right there on your phone, um, as opposed to having to sit there and fill out an application or even going through an interview with your client, right? So that omni-channel experience really making um, you know, the way that you're interacting with your bank a lot more seamless, streamlining and automation in, around retail products. You know, no longer have to do manual underwriting, a lot of scorecard, a lot of uh, efficiencies gained on the back ends that we're seeing. Um, you know, that includes ID and fraud verification as well, not just in terms of the way that we are evaluating 
the credit worthiness of the client. Also, you know, think of when you had to bring in your driver's license or upload a utility bill or all those different things that we would have had to do. There's a lot of technology solutions that, that banks are implementing in the background that are replacing those type of, you know, client-driven experiences for non-documentary um, experiences. And then, you know, you're starting to see more and more, you know, innovation in that embedded finance. Like I mentioned before, you know, the Amazon and the Toast experience, you're seeing banks embed their credit elsewhere. So for example, we have a commercial client of ours that is on another, you know, major seller platform. They're offering their lines of credit to the merchant sellers on that platform, which is probably something that hadn't been done, uh, you know, previous to that. So seeing a lot of innovation around there uh, in those types of areas. What's been the process like? For implementation and innovation for banks fast enough good enough are they making the best use of technology so the answer is the answer is probably no um but i but you know not because there isn't a a, a sort of will or a desire to do that i think that, you know the, by definition the banks are are a risk averse business right and, and i think when it comes to fundamental shifts or or sort of seismic shifts um, in the way that they do things a lot of times i'm talking to banks and and we hear about the you know we use the term a generational shift from analog to digital, right? That, that's not always an easy thing to do. And it's not just as simple as like, oh, I, I want to implement a technology solution to do this. There's operational processes. There is change management processes within the bank. Um, a lot of this has been in response to sort of regulatory requirements over the last several years, um, you know, going back to the financial crisis in, in 2008 um, that have created a little bit more of a roadblock to faster innovation uh, you know, I think they're doing a good job. Is it fast enough? Probably not fast enough from a end user standpoint. You know, can can people take a little bit more of an aggressive approach? Probably. Uh, but don't forget, you're dealing with with people who are, are, are sometimes taking career risk. If they want to do something extremely transformative, um, and that doesn't necessarily yield the result, and you've now just sort of fundamentally changed the way the bank does something, there's a lot of risk there. So, you know, I think bankers, they're in the business of risk. They're not necessarily looking to to extend risk, you know, much deeper into other parts of their, of their lives and businesses. You mentioned regulation there. What? Tell me a little bit more about what you think the impact of increased regulation of the financial sector has been, both the good and the bad. Yeah. So I would say, you know, forcing the banks to provide more value-added services that their customers are willing to pay for versus just fee generating features like overdraft, right? I think that's like a, a really positive thing, right? you know, say what you want about CFPV, you know, they, they've obviously taken a, a little bit more of a stringent approach recently. They coined the term junk fees. You can argue whether some of those junk fees that they consider junk are, are value add or not. But what I think it's forced the industry to do is really take a look at what they're offering and where that, where that value exists, right? We've all heard of the $35 cup of coffee. And I think we can probably all agree that that's probably not evaluate service for the bank, for a customer. But when it comes to things like overdraft, $35 cup of coffee is a bad example, but what's a good example? You're you're in the middle of Minnesota at 2 a.m., as one bank CEO once put it, uh, you need to fill up your car with gas in the middle of the winter and it's negative 10 degrees outside. You want to make sure that your debit card is working, right? So there is a purpose to overdraft. So there's a sort of debate and a way to approach it. So there's a way that you can offer those services that is value add for the customer. An example is the point of sale installment program that we have in place with MasterCard today. Um, there's been you know, some news around that. That's an opportunity for you know, a customer to be able to basically replace overdraft and have a sort of a just-in-time use for a transaction that is a value add for the customer. 
it's a fair interchange rate because it's on the, the MasterCard network in terms of a transaction. And it's not punitive in terms of trying to generate fees. So I think regulatory scrutiny has been bad in terms of the sense that it, it's forced banks to spend a lot more money, have a lot more infrastructure around you know, complying with all these new regulations. But it's been good because it's forced the banks to really you know, take a look at their services and say, where can we add value? And now that we have to replace certain things, how can we innovate to bring a lot more value to our customers? Can we focus now on the role of fintechs? Often they're seen as a force for good. What has their role been? And indeed, can we lump them all together as one entity almost? Yeah, so I think there are different kinds of fintechs. It's a, it's a fair point that you raise in terms of, you know, can we lump them all together? I think you have fintechs that are sort of direct to the customer, right? So think of that as North One Bank, um, which is a business, you know, neobank that goes directly to small businesses, freelancers, and, and, and startup businesses. Klarna, obviously, a, a sort of a BNPL uh, direct-to-consumer play that, that most people have heard of at this point. And then you have indirect fintechs like Amount, and there are many others like that. So have they been a force for good or a force for bad? I, I think there's been some good. I think there's been some bad, right? Like anything else. You know, again, not, not to knock the, the, so the business model uh, of some of the BNPL players, but I think as, as you've seen some of the stress that these companies have come under, one can argue that there was obviously a lot of good intention, but maybe the execution was not, you know, the, the best. Hindsight is 2020. I'm sure there are things that, that they would have rather done differently um, if they could do it all over again. But generally, I, I believe that there's been, that they have been a force for good. You know, I would take the PPP as a great example. There was just a congressional report that came out highlighting some of the fraud that, that maybe some of the fintechs may have facilitated. Now, there were a limited number of fintechs that were called out in those reports, but then you take a, a fintech like us at Amount, we drove the PPP uh, technology for several large banks. We were not mentioned in those reports. Uh, the banks that we worked with were not mentioned in those reports because we sort of followed the rules and, and it went down this sort of like the normal financial services uh, roadmap and architecture in terms of how we orchestrated the PPP, what kind of fraud checks we were doing. And we were able to facilitate hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of PPP loans going out to the customers at, at the banks that we helped. Um, and that was ultimately a force for good. So again, like, like anything else in this life, you have the power to do good or you have the power to do bad. It's, it's really how you decide to exercise it. But I think net-net, the emergence of fintechs has been a, a positive force for the financial services industry. How do you see that role developing in years to come and also the sort of symbiotic, I guess, relationship with banks? Yeah, I, I think you kind of answered the question in the way that, that you phrased it. Listen, over time, there will be fintechs that innovate in a way that, that banks didn't necessarily, weren't necessarily capable of doing for whatever reason, right? Either they sort of have tech debt, they have just don't necessarily have an open sheet the same way a fintech might have they're they're working within legacy systems and within a legacy framework there's going there are going to be fintechs that continue to innovate and push the industry that are that are never really going to be symbiotic they're going to be viewed as competitive um, but that i think there are going to be positive competitive forces there you're going to have a lot of fintechs and we're one example of that uh, we've made that decision a long time ago but i think you're going to have more and more fintechs that that are looking to the financial services industry and the, the traditional players within that space and say, we're going to work cooperatively 
I think, you know, going back to 2013, 14, 15, you had a lot of fintechs, you know, think about like sort of the first direct to consumer lender sort of space, uh, the lending clubs and the prospers, you know, there, there was a lot of chest thumping there that said, you know, we're going to disintermediate the banking sector. I think what, what's happened over the last eight, nine years is really clear that they weren't going to disintermediate anything. The ones who have been the most successful in that regard are the ones that have found their niche or worked with the traditional financial services sector to help push and innovate and move that industry forward. Ultimately, you're gonna have probably two classes, innovators, you know, who are gonna push the industry, and then those who are gonna have value-added services, to use that term again, that are going to help the financial services sector move along, maybe not catch up to those innovators quickly, but definitely compete with them and definitely, you know, offer some of the, the offer some of that, that FinTech fast type of an approach um, that those innovators are offering to the market. Jonathan Katz from Mount, thank you so much. All right, thanks so much. Thank you.